Knock, knock. Who's there? It's episode 62 of the Best Thing Podcast. I had to. Why not? On this episode, I have a fantastic conversation with the amazing Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. She is the co-author of 12 books, including one of my absolute favorites, Conscious Loving, The Journey to Co-Commitment. I've had the opportunity to work with her many times over the years in the Hendricks Institute, and the work I've done with her has been nothing short of transformational. I can't wait for you to hear more about her, her story, and how experiencing the arts at a young age greatly influenced her life. Hey, you know this, my book, Stop Living on Autopilot. It is out. It is available. It's doing fantastic. The reviews are in. People love it. If you haven't bought your copy yet, I invite you to go to the show notes and buy a copy for yourself or for a friend. And if you want to test drive the book first to see if it's your cup of tea or not, it is your cup of tea. You can also go to the show notes, click a link into your email address, and I'll send you chapter one at absolutely no cost. Last but not least, I send out motivational text messages every single week, and they are pretty darn good. Like, they're, they're pretty good. No, they're great. If you want to receive those motivational text messages, just send me a text message at 310-564-7124. The link for that is in the show notes. All of those messages come directly from me. All right, without further ado, let's get to episode 62 of The Best Thing Podcast with Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. Welcome to The Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing that happened to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm the author of Stop Living on Autopilot, a speaker and success coach. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. Now, this week's guest is someone I came across about 10 years ago, and I am so glad I did Working directly with her and her institute played a major role in shifting the course of my life from working in the television industry in New York City to the work that I do today. Even more than that, the work brought about deep healing in my life. Dr. Kathleen Hendricks is an evolutionary catalyst, contextual disruptor, and freelance mentor who has been a pioneer in the field of body intelligence and conscious loving for 50 years. She is the co-author of 12 books, including one of my favorites, the best-selling book, Conscious Loving, The Journey to Co-Commitment. She is also author of At the Speed of Life and Conscious Loving Ever After, How to Create Thriving Relationships at Midlife and Beyond. Dr. Hendrick specializes in translating concepts such as commitment into directly felt experiences that lead to new choices and creative engagement. Her unique coaching and leadership programs have generated hundreds of body intelligence and relationship coaches in the United States and Europe, and I am one of them. <laughs> she is currently joining with her Foundation for Conscious Living Community to create the Big Leap online programs. These online videos are designed to support people in coming home to presence, restoring resourcefulness, and creating caring communities. Dr. Kathleen Hendricks, or as 
Katie, as I've been so honored to get to know you over the years, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast. Oh, I'm so delighted to be with you. It's great to share space with you again. Oh, it's been quite some time. As I just mentioned to you before we hit record, it's very rare uh, before I interview anyone that I get nervous or I blush, but I felt this amazing wave of just, just joy and happiness as your face came on the screen to do this because you have had a profound effect uh, mm. in my life and the work that I do today. And I can tell you right now, this podcast would not exist. My book would not exist. The coaching clients I've worked with over the years, who I am on stages, holy moly, it, it started in uh, at, at a hotel in Ventura, California, when yeah. I participated in a week a weekend workshop, and it's been amazing from there. So I just want to say just thank you for that first. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. Well, what I want to say back at you is that your openness to learning and your joy in discovery was one of the first things I noticed about you. And I think that's going to make whatever you decide to turn your attention toward a success. I appreciate that. Yeah, I know you said openness to learning initially. That was it was a great resistance. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great stiff arm. Like holy moly, no! I, I hear what you're saying, but I want to resist and stay over here for a little bit longer. Let's let's start with this question. I just read this beautiful bio of you that describes the work that you've done over the you know says the past fifty years. But a question I have for you is: if you were seated on a plane talking to a stranger and that person happened to say, tell me about you and your work. How would you describe what you do to them? Okay. Well, I really appreciate you saying that because I have honed it down to one sentence of, of what I do in the world. Uh, I feel through to the heart with laser love and evoke essence through deep play. That's what I do. Well, let's go there. I'm writing some of this down right now. Evoke essence with deep play. One thing I immediately appreciated about you when I first came uh, to meet you was your use of language and your love of language. It was the first time I was in the room and people were talking about essence, a word mm -hmm. that I didn't hear regularly in my life. It I was hearing words like juicy being used to describe feelings. You talked about deep play, et cetera, evoke. Again, these aren't words that I frankly hear in my day-to-day -day life. Can you talk to me just about your appreciation and love of language? I've loved language ever since I was little. And uh, some of that comes from my love of reading. And I started reading when I was about three. And so by the time I got to school, I already, uh, you know, I already knew how to read, I knew how to write. And so it, it uh, led to one of the amusing incidences in my early life, because I went to first grade, and I was sitting there and they were putting letters on the board. And, uh, and I looked around and I said, well, gosh, I already know how to write. And I had to, so I'm going to just go home because I already know this. So I just got up and left and walked home. And it was a big, uh, it, it was quite a scandal. They, they came and found me. And the sad thing was that they made me go back. And uh, so I encountered my, you know, my love of how words are condensed experience words give us the opportunity to communicate uh, uh, such a depth of experience in a concise way. And especially if I'm feeling what I'm communicating, that it's that I'm my words are coming from my whole whole body. Uh, and I was also just thinking about in the old days when someone would say, I give you my word that what that meant was that my, I'm, my whole self is 
uh, is in agreement with you and I'll give you a handshake or I will give you my word. And so for me, the power of words has substituted in many places for the power of the sword. And that's what I would like to see even more is that we are able to use our communication rather than the fear and the force that comes from not really being embodied and uh, letting fear run us rather than connection. So I think that words, uh, not only, uh, you know, I'm, rem- I'm remembering uh, mother saying, now use your words, <laughs> you know, use your words rather than blah, 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 uh, that we can all learn how to let our whole bodies communicate so that uh, that we're not just using words. But I was also just thinking of this great quote from Buckminster Fuller, uh, where he says, I seem to be a verb, which I just love because I love verbs. And one of the things I do in all of my work is assist people from moving from passive verbs like I have or, you know, I have to or I am to um, I want, I generate, I create, active verbs create a whole body experience that really allows us to communicate more fully than we can just from uh, echoing, like parroting what we have learned. So part of my love of words also came from my, I'm a former um, English major, So uh, when, and I've studied Shakespeare and, oh, I was just remembering, I got to see the Royal Shakespeare Company in person when I was a a sophomore in college, which so was back in the late 60s. And it just opened my word from the, what you can see on a page and what you can read to hearing words come to life. And to me, that's the great benefit of art, of theater, of music, is that it brings our consciousness to life, both inside us and in interactions with others. Yeah, I love that. And and as I hear you talk, as I was reading your bio, I think about how limited I am with my language. And we have such this amazing, rich language that we can play with. But I feel like I'm, I'm so limited. It makes me want to, frankly, go to grab a dictionary and just open it and start reading so I can play with some of those words. Well, I used to, I, I subscribed to all kinds of word things. So I used to get the word of the day. It would come in my, uh, you know, in my email and I, I would get cards where I would keep learning new words and how to use them. We have such a rich inheritance of how people have used words to communicate. And I think it, I would love to see us be more skilled in using words to communicate. Uh, we've kind of devolved in the last 30 years as, as a nation here. Um, people's vocabularies have decreased, the, uh, the uh, number of well, and sentences. And we used to, when we published Conscious Loving back in 1990, when we would go on shows, you had to show up in person then to go on shows. You couldn't do it over. There was no internet. There was no Zoom. Um, we would practice being able to say everything we had to say in like one or two outbreaths, so that we just jump right in and, and capture the gist of what we wanted to say. So I've practiced condensing and communicating. But what I've noticed is that the sound bites get, keep getting shorter and shorter. So that depth of communication 
that I think people really miss. They miss the being met and matched and being able to use language to connect rather than just to give instructions or to say, I'll meet you, you know, at one. I agree with you 100%. You mentioned something really poignant about how we're in a place of, of fear rather than connection. And we can talk about the past few years. And I, I do want to go here, though, because one thing, I'm a journalist. You probably can remember me. I tend to show up with an agenda. I'm a bullet point kind of guy. You bet. One, well, I love that. But one of the best things I learned from you is how specifically as a coach is how sometimes having an agenda can get in the way of the work. And if the the best things I've the best experiences I've had with my clients over the years is when I release my agenda and see what wants to come through. And what wants to come through for me right now is as I'm watching you speak, and unfortunately people listening can't see you, is that what they would see is a lot of movement. They would see you <laughs> using your body, using your hands, et cetera, something that I think we both have in common. So we're talking about our use of words, but I know something that's equally important, something I learned with working with you is the use of our bodies yes. as well. So could you talk about, I know we could do a masterclass just on that, but just, just briefly about how important moving our bodies is. Oh, it just, thank you so much for mentioning that because one of the things I've seen you know, in my uh, career so far is that people have gotten more and more what I call head-centric. They think they live from the neck up. They really think they're located in their heads. And that's... Um, you know, that's the only thing that's really important. But what I've seen and what we really explore on our uh, website, uh, the uh, foundationforconsciousliving.org, we explore the power of congruence. That is, you could call that matching, that what I'm experiencing is resonant, matches what I'm saying. And so often what people are saying is contradicted by what their body is doing. And in our work, we call that flags. We call that, uh, you know, this is, you know, I think I'm telling you one thing, but my body is really telling you another. And then that creates a jangle, both in me, but also in communication. And my favorite, if you can all imagine this, my, my mother used to tell me how her mother would communicate with her. So hold out your hand and then hit your hand with your other fist so that you're emphasizing that knocking. And that what my mother, grandmother would add to this was, but I love you. So she would be saying, I love you while she was hitting her hand with a fist. So that, and she was completely unaware that she was giving this contradictory message. So when I was a kid, I started noticing those contradictions between what people were saying and how they were actually acting. And that really informed, it kept me safe as a child because I could hear a certain tonality of, and rhythm in the kitchen when my mother would start banging pots and pans. I could hear it starting to accelerate and then I just knew that shortly she would be saying, would somebody please come in? And that was sort of my nickname. I was somebody. When somebody please come and, you know, get the dishes on the table or uh, the, the congruence of I love you, which is said with an open voice and an inclination forward and a connection is really different, both in my experience, but also your experience in receiving. And what I've noticed in recent years, especially, is that if I'm matching, if I'm in alignment, that's where the power is. That the jangle comes when 
I'm trying to say something that's not actually true. I'm not experiencing, or I'm trying to control or manipulate, that's going to come through in my body. And so a lot of our work is really about aligning. Are you actually, is that what you're feeling? Is that describe what you're feeling? Does that describe what you want? And I can hear now when people are holding back, I can hear it. And so I can assist them in, okay, what was that? What did you just swallow? And then what that brings us to is the big thing that keeps us from communicating from our whole bodies is fear. And I've put a huge emphasis on befriending fear over the last five or six years. And that's one thing you'll find on our foundation website is a whole section called Unlocking the Fear Code. Because what I've noticed as I've been looking around, especially in the last four years, is that we've been running on fear juice. We've been running on adrenaline juice, and that's a short-acting, non-renewable resource. So you get that big spike of, ha, 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 you know, that being right, that moment of being right, but then it dies off, and then you have to escalate. You have to expand the, the, the combat, the conflict, the condescension, the uh, to get that hit of adrenaline. And the big problem with fear There are two things. One, when I'm in fear, I can't think. So when I'm in fear, I go reptilian, you know, I go Godzilla, and it's just smash and grab. And the other thing, if I'm in fear, you become the enemy. So that, and people don't realize that that their fear is speaking because it just looks like the other person is untrustworthy. And so the whole concept of othering that has been, we're finally taking a look at, comes from fear. And what I noticed even in this last couple of months is that people have been saying, well, I was really scared. I didn't make this decision. You know, I didn't vote because I was too scared. And so it seems to me that the biggest threat to our civilization and to the planet is fear. And that learning how to befriend fear will allow each of us to feel, I'm here, I have something to contribute, I can add to rather than taking away from. And so that, the whole, and alignment. See, here's the thing, when I'm aligned, that allows me to say what's actually true, and it unkinks the energy hose, it unkinks the creativity hose. So I get more and more creative the more and more aligned I am with saying what's actually so rather than, oh, no, that was okay. I'm, I wasn't really angry. No, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Or, you know, the classic British, this is the classic, and we've been watching British mysteries. And the classic thing that happens in every British mystery is somebody looks like they're in trouble and, so, and their friend will say, are you okay? Are you all right? It would be like, are you all right? And the person says, I'm fine. That's the classic. I'm fine. <laughs> rather, rather than, the actual here, I'm sharing myself with you. Yeah, that's beautiful. Everything you shared in it makes me think about as a society. I don't even speak of the United States right now, but I think we felt it globally as well as how much we have contracted in the past few years, how much we have, we have shrunk and got tight. I can speak for myself at the beginning of the pandemic and we've experienced, I felt myself shrinking in many ways because of fear based on career, family's health, et cetera. And sure. I love that on your website you offer these amazing tools and resources, many of them that are, that cost you absolutely nothing. Some of them being fear milters that I've seen people do with that talk about moving your body, et cetera. And I love watching the videos of people that have shared them, but let's briefly just go there a little bit further because you talk 
briefly about the word essence. And now I'm just having this memory of in one of the workshops. And I, so for the listeners, I've spent a lot of time with Katie and her fellow coaches, um, not, not just a three hours here and there, but, but full days over the course of weeks, et cetera. And one of the workshops, I remember doing an, an exercise called finding, I believe, I believe it's called your essence pace. Yes. And you, and you would have us walk around a room and you would direct us to move at certain speeds, speed up, slow down. And yeah. at some point you would ask us to ease into what felt like us, what felt natural, what was our natural essence pace. And first, I want you to describe that for people, but yes. I bring that up only because when I look at videos of me speaking from 2013, I don't know who that is. There was no yeah. essence there. That was a robot versus who the guy is on stage. I feel like I finally found that essence of who I am as a speaker, who I am. The, the twang shows up a little bit when I speak. <laughs> I'm no longer wearing a, a buttoned up blazer trying to be wearing this uniform. I'm me. So could you talk a little bit about essence pace and finding our speed, if you will. Oh, I love that, Antonio, because I think essence pace is one of the most important skills that anybody can experience. Because see, all of us have had our pace messed with. You've either been told to hurry up, which we always have to wait for you, or slow down. You're just all over the place. And so that that control of our essence pace is really a control of how we want to be in the world, discovering and sharing and expressing. And essence pace is what I'd like to have people do is to accelerate and decelerate. Like you can do it out on a walk. And the, the pace or the range is where you can be aware of you and aware of your surroundings. So if you go too fast, you're going to lose your surroundings and then people just become obstacles. It's like New York subway, the way it used to be before pre-pandemic. And if you go too slow, you lose the sense of yourself. And so that sweet spot of I can be myself and I can be aware of others. So I can be aware of my impact on others. I say something and I get, oh, he didn't quite catch that. And I can be aware of that and my response to that. And it adds to the richness, but it basically, it creates connection. I create deep connection with myself so that I can call on those resources inside and it creates connection with outside so that I can have that, the juiciness of us generating connection. And I think that's one of the big things that we've been missing for years now is actually being impacted by the presence of somebody else. And so that when you say something, I can feel that in my body and I can hear the twang and I'm going, hey, he didn't used to communicate that way. So I, my thought was, I bet you're feeling more yourself. And then if you're feeling <laughs> yeah. more yourself, I can go, oh, I can be more myself and we're supporting the emergence of essence in each other, which isn't a thing, it's a becoming. Because I really consider now that we are all evolving works of art. But most of us have learned throughout our lives that we're improvement projects. And that if we would only just, you know, if only you would stand up straight or lose weight or take another course or um, work harder or, you know, all of these things, then you would be okay. And the sense of you're okay comes from outside is so different than the experience of 
ah, I can be myself and I can be received as myself and also support other people in being themselves. And to me, that creates each of us being like different instruments in the orchestra. And as each of us is sounding ourselves fully and uniquely, we add to the harmony of the orchestra. And if I'm not in my essence pace, I'm much more likely to play flat, you know, or miss the beat. Uh, And one of the only things I really miss about the pandemic is that it was moving together with other people. We used to go to a, a move, you know, an ecstatic dance every week. And there was some time in the, in the, in the dance where everybody was in the beat. They were all moving differently, you know, and some and moving wildly differently, but I could tell that everybody was in the music. And that experience of being together and being able to be yourself is I think what we're needing to generate on a larger and larger basis so people feel included, welcome, but and that they can make a contribution. Yeah, I like that that reframe you just shared about how many people look at themselves as uh, in need of improvement versus we're just yeah. evolving works of art. Like that just takes like pressure off of life just in general. And as you were talking, I was reminded of something that I have to consistently remind myself, but it's also an amazing tool that I share with clients is that when we reveal, when we share more of ourselves, it creates intimacy. It I still, does. I still remember you saying revealing creates intimacy. And for, for me, my story was revealing gets me hurt. It, yeah. it, but it creates intimacy. It brings us closer. Like you said, it, it allows that person to find their way to their essence, which uh, I love. Another quick question before sure. we get to this idea of the best thing. I, I could talk to you for hours. And so we're talking about essence pace. So I'm curious for you, you're a person that previously, who who knows how many millions of miles you've flown across this globe? You're used to a doing this work. A million and a half. A million and a half. You've been across this globe multiple times. You're normally giving workshops. I know you live in, in Ojai, California. You've done, done them there to San Francisco, to Boulder, East, you name it. You've gone everywhere. So you've had to shift over the yes. course of this pandemic, not getting on planes. So I'm yes. curious what that adjustment has been like for you with your personal essence but also something else I noticed, you've never been shy because I feel like there's been videos of you regularly on your website, yes. but I've seen you in this year, I feel like hit record and publish more than I've ever seen you hit publish and record before. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that and how your essence has evolved. Oh, thank you. Well, I've uh, one, I have gotten just much more comfortable with the technology and the technology has gotten better. So years ago, um, I couldn't do what I could do now because the the technology couldn't really carry energy. No, but now that we have enough pixels and whatever else is going on there, that I can actually do the same kind of connection with people that I could do in person. And that was a huge discovery. Um, one thing, I, I do a weekly thing I call loops and scoops, where I, I help people to... Uh, give attention to themselves and give attention to others so that they're not stuck either being feeling really inward or stuck out, just worrying about what's going on. And that shifting of attention is one of the ways that I keep my own energy flowing. I would say the biggest surprise for me is how much I love doing my classes online now. It It took a few months and I thought, well, this is going to be really, you know, who knows if this is going to work. 
Uh, but I have found that people can connect. They are having deep experiences. But the thing that's very cool for me is, one, I don't have to get on an airplane. <laughs> I haven't been on an airplane in more than a year. And I have my office all set up so that I can just walk from there into the rest of the house, into here, connect with people, express myself fully. And then I turn everything off. And then I go back and play with my kitties and, and you know, and make lunch for Gay and me. And uh, it's, it's created this sense of being able to be in my own sanctuary and also be open to the world. So I've you know, aside from you know all of the the distress that so many people uh, have been feeling, uh, it makes it more possible for me here to participate in my local community with what what people are needing and what's wanting to be generated and helping things evolve. Like we invited our mayor came to one of my our new mayor, which we helped support because she read The Big Leap and got inspired. She'd never run for public office, but she read Gay's book, The Big Leap, and that inspired her to run for mayor. And so uh, she unseated an incumbent and we helped support her. But now she's come to one of our classes. So we're able to bring in the, the kinds of concepts we've been in practices we've been talking about, but at a local level so that we can support our own. What can our community do to support sustainability, our deeper connection uh, with each other, moving through fear, all of those things, but on a local level. So I would say, by and large, I am delighted not to be <laughs> doing classes uh, in person. The other thing I am not missing is uh, where's the Kleenex and who's handling the snacks and uh, you know, all of that. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's amazing, and for those people listening, Katie's husband is Gay Hendricks, who she's co-authored books with, and a, amazing uh, uh, author in his own right of, of many books, many uh, that I, that I love. Um, yeah, in terms of community, it makes me think about not me not getting on the planes like I normally do, and all of a sudden looking out my window, and I'm like, who are these people? Who who are these neighbors in my neighborhood? And we've been able to connect and make some relationships that otherwise would not be there. But frankly, I've been able to connect and make some relationships in my own home that would not be there uh, exactly. with my wife and with yes. my four-year-old twins that uh, I was pretty good at escaping uh, to get on planes every four or five days. That, that's another yeah. conversation. Um, so let, let, let's go to this question of the best thing. Uh, yes. Oh, by the way, I, I wanted to say what's also amazing though about what you just said, being able to do your work from your office now is people would fly across the world to join you for your trainings previously. So now yes. I can only imagine the men and women that you can teach now because they don't have that barrier, if you will, of getting on a plane. So I'm guessing your global community is getting the, even more well, global. Well, the global community has really grown. And it's been so delightful because people have been saying, oh, I've been wanting to do your workshop for years. Was, we've had people from Dubai and South Africa and uh, you know India. It's been wonderful to be able to uh, open up the, all of these different facets of community and people's experiences and what they're learning from each other. So uh, by and large, it's better for them because they don't have to get it on an airplane and, and arrange for childcare. Well, nobody can get it on an airplane now right. anyway, but uh, the, I think it's going to open new possibilities for us. And I actually, a couple of years ago, I started moving things online and people asked me, why are you doing that? And this just came from my deep inside. I said, you know, this was, I think, two, two and a half years ago. I said, well, 
soon people are not going to be able to travel and I want people to be able to have our work. So this was, uh, you know, my, I think my insights anticipated the pandemic. It was talking to you. That's good. I'm glad you were ahead of the curve on that. So I want to know what's one of the best things to happen to you. That's not one of those traditional markers of success. I think a lot of times when people talk about best things, they talk about getting married, having kids, graduating from university, I mean, we can go getting a car, we can go through all the traditional things, but what's one of those things that wouldn't appear on your resume or bio that has had a profound effect on who you are? Well, I think of a couple of things. One is that uh, one of the best things for me was that I grew up surrounded by art and music, and that was part of my education. And so back in my grammar school, I took music appreciation. So in the third and the fourth grade, we actually spent time in school listening to music. And then we'd have these little, like every month or so, there'd be a little test. And the test would be you'd listen to music, and then you'd have to pick which one was this. Was it Tchaikovsky's, you know, a, a, a Tchaikovsky, or was it Debussy? Or And so I I was surrounded by, and my my mother we, I was started reading when I was three, and the books that were at home were art books because my mother was an art major. So those were the books that I read, and so I got to see Brancusi and and uh, Michelangelo. You know, when I was very little, and my grandmother took me to my first opera when I was nine, uh, and she was the president of the Music Federation Clubs of America. So I I I grew up with knowing that that beauty was an integral part of life and that the object of life was not to get ahead, but was to appreciate. And that created for me uh, an ethic that when I was, then when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I got to take theater and dance and madrigals as part of the curriculum. And um, I, I feel sad that, that our education is is so impoverished in that regard now. It's gotten very technical and all of, you know, reading and writing, but all of the so-called extras have been dropped out. And I think that art and beauty and appreciation of our own lives as a work of art really starts with the way that we educate ourselves. And so that was one of the best things. But the other best thing... I, I do want to interrupt just briefly. Yeah, I'm just curious because you mentioned art and music being raised by that. And, and of course, on the other side, that you, you have a PhD, right? Yes. In, in, in psychology. So I'm curious what the merging of those two fields created for you because, listen, I don't know every psychologist out there, every PhD, but I feel like it's rare that these folks have a, a background in art and music like you do. So my hunch is that brings something to your work, a vantage point that not a lot, not a lot of others have. Is that fair to say? I would say so because I also, I not only have a PhD, but I'm a registered dance movement therapist. I have been a dance movement therapist. That was actually my first profession. I met, that was my other best thing was that I, uh, I met uh, a dance therapist when my, my movement teachers in college got uh, so tired of me because they, I kept saying, how come we can't just move the way we feel? Why do we have to move in all these stupid ways, you know, contracting our bodies and all that stuff? And so they sent me to a class where 
I found a group of middle-aged women moving across the room. It was a dance room, but they were moving across the room expressing no. They were expressing no in movement and in sound. And so we got to see everybody's individual, what no felt like to them and how they expressed it. And uh, it was just, that was a moment that just changed my life. I just said, I don't know what this is, but this is what I'm going to do. And that was my first experience in dance movement therapy. And then uh, they sat in a circle and the teacher said, you know, whenever uh, people were confused or Jung, Jung would say, well, just turn that into some kind of creative expression so that you can bring what's inside of you out. And that whole revealing what's inside of you through art was something that I discovered way back then. And the language of movement, which is every bit as rich as the language of words. In fact, it's more rich and it supports and informs what comes out your mouth, your tonality, phrasing, rhythm, what gets left out. And we forget that, you know, something like 94% of what we say is not the words, it's everything else. So, so it gives me not only an advantage, but several different doorways into exploration to allow people to really experience themselves as evolving works of art. Yeah, as you're talking, it's making me think a little bit about, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's a great book I read many years ago. I want to say by Twyla Tharp. I just learned so much about dance and and, and appreciation for it in a way that I just never had it before. But also something that's coming up for me now as you talk about what Jung said and about movement, et cetera, I remember learning from you uh, if you're trying to solve a problem, I remember you talking about move, shift your body or or yeah. move. If you're, can you talk? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I sure do. Yeah, because whenever you're stuck, whenever any of us is stuck, we are also stuck in our bodies. So the quickest way to change your mind is to change your body. So if you're stuck and just kind of going, just simply taking three connected breaths and changing your body posture opens up a new possibility. And you can look like there are lots of scientific experiments where people sort of, they let go of thinking about it, you know, like the, the, uh, the DNA spiral, they found that by walking on the beach. So letting go of sort of pressing on it, you know, hanging in there and shifting, particularly shifting posture, breath, pace will open up your creativity again and get you unstuck. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I, I gave an assignment to some people that are on a, a list of mine that I text out each week. And the assignment was go for a 30 minute walk without listening to anything. Uh, no, no, no scrolling through your phone, no music, no podcast, just 30 minutes of you. And, and you, you, people wrote back to me, Katie, you would think that I, I solved cancer because <laughs> they're like, oh my goodness, just, just moving all these amazing ideas, these challenges I had. New, it was just, I just love that. What you say? You said change. You want a ch- quickest way to change your mind is to change your body. Yep. I think that that's a beautiful point for us to end on. I, I personally could talk to you for a long time and keep going in so many different dinner, uh, directions. This for me personally is fun. Uh, I, I feel uh, so lucky that I get to have conversations like these with people like you that I've had the opportunity to learn so much from. Uh, I truly mean it that the work I'm doing today uh, I wouldn't be doing, uh, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be sitting in this home right now with my mm-hmm. wife and kids on the other side of the wall. 
Uh, I, I wouldn't have those conversations with myself and my brain when I'm doing something stupid, like, but you know better, but you know better, you know the right thing to do because you learned and you got to stand up. So I just want to say thank you so much for joining oh, me for this conversation. Thank you, Antonio. Well, to me, to know that our collaboration has made a difference for you and then a difference for other people is very meaningful to me. It's very touching. So I really appreciate who you are and what you're doing in the world. So keep it up and thanks for letting me collaborate. You got it. I hope to see you uh, in Ojai sometime in the near future. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.